Go ahead and turn to Acts 13. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse, line-by-line study through all of God's Word. And we are in the book of Acts. Just give you a little story to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my boys, we were driving home from having dinner at someone's house. I had a couple of my boys in the car. And we were up there kind of by a story in middle school. And they're like, one of them had the, this idea. He was like, Dad, you know, it'd be really great right now if we go to Dairy Queen. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as he says that, of course, his brother's like, yeah, that would be an excellent idea. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, do we really need to go eat Dairy Queen right now? And I'm talking as we're driving, and we come to that four-way flashing signal up there on 7th and where you turn to go to the middle school. And that's kind of where we either turn left to go back to our house or you go straight through the Coast Guard housing to Dairy Queen. You guys know the path. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so, um, so I'm there, and I'm just kind of being quiet, and the boys are like waiting, like egging me on, like waiting. Just, come on, Dad, come on, go straight. So I'm like, I start going straight. I'm like, all right, all right, let's go. And they're just like, yeah, we could go to Dairy Queen. They're so stoked. You're the best dad. And, you know, I was just thinking, you know, along the lines of what I'm going to be talking about today, that is the right way to respond to good news, right? I mean, if you were given good news, it really would not make a lot of sense to go like, oh, that just sucks. You know, I can't believe that good thing has been offered to me or, you you know, that's not the way you would respond unless for some reason you didn't understand that good news properly or, and this is kind of the the more frequent thing we can experience in our life, in in our minds, even though it might be good news being presented to us, we think there's something better it's because it doesn't exactly match up with what we think is best or what we would like. And so because of that, we don't receive it as good news because our focus is on what it's not, and therefore we miss out, all right? And quite honestly, that is the reason why people don't receive the good news of the gospel. Because in essence, either they don't understand it correctly or more times than not in, in our pride, because we have a tendency to think we know best, they think there's something better. You know, God, why do I need God? I'm not that bad of a person. I don't need him to save me. Or, no, I like my life the way it is. I don't need any help with it. Now, we know that's not correct. That's not right. But again, that's why they're not receiving it for the good news that it is. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. So just a reminder, we were in Acts 13, 13 through 41 a couple weeks ago. And we saw the Apostle Paul's first recorded sermon, all right, as he spoke to the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles at a synagogue in Antioch, which was in present-day Turkey. This is their first missionary journey of the early church with him and Barnabas going out and kind of, you know, this up to Cyprus and then over into the Turkey area. And they're going about preaching the word. And in his sermon, we kind of focused on, you know, the example he gave us in how to share the good news of Jesus with people. There were three things we talked about. Number one, he shared the word. He used the word to share the good news, all right? Number two, he kept it focused on Jesus because that's what the good news is about, right? He talked about Jesus being alive, Jesus dying, Jesus 
rising from the dead and what that accomplished for us. That's the gospel in essence. And then he also was sure to help them understand the consequences of not believing in Jesus, not receiving that good news. Ultimately, an eternity spent separated from God in hell. And he focused on those three things. And today we're going to see how the people that he was sharing this good news with responded. Now we're going to see a great example of people that receive the good news properly or they believe in Jesus. They receive Jesus in their lives. They surrender their lives over to him. And what that, what that looks like, basically, I'm going to focus on four characteristics of somebody that truly has believed and received Jesus that you will see in their life. And then unfortunately, we're going to see some people reject Jesus as well. All right. So let me pray one more time. I'll read the section we're in and we'll start going through it verse by verse. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just want to settle our, our hearts and minds. We can come in here with our minds in a million different places. So much going on all the time. Like Stephen was saying, I, I feel like that myself, just kind of coming out of fall sports season, just the craziness with three boys going three different directions. And it's it just always seems like everything's so busy. So it's good for us to kind of just settle everything down. Everything will take care of itself. You say today has enough worries. Like we don't need to worry about tomorrow. We don't need to worry about anything else. We have you to lead us through that. We just want to come here and we want to rest in your presence. We want to receive the food you have to give to us, the nourishment, the ministering. We want to hear what it is you want to say, knowing that everything in your word is truth and it's all good for us. We don't want to miss out on the the life-changing words that you want to give us. So Lord, May you open our ears, open our hearts, hearts, captivate our attention, and may we hear from you and leave this place changed today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so starting in verse 42, we're going to finish up this chapter today. It says, as they went out, this would be Paul and Barnabas, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath, basically the good news they had shared with them. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism or Gentiles followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are returning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So starting in verse 42, it says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts, or those would be Gentiles that had believed in the God of the Jewish God, uh, to Judaism, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So 
As I pointed out last week, because we focused on this section and we talked about what it meant to continue in the grace of God. But they they hear this good news and they respond by basically like, man, this is awesome what you're saying. Like, tell us more. Tell us more, all right? And this leads to the first thing I want you to note. First of four, if you're a note taker, okay? It's good to take notes so you can come back and, and, and um, reflect on what the Lord's teaching you. But the first of four things I want you to note in how to tell if somebody has truly received or believed the good news of Jesus Christ is they will want to know more, all right? When I first got saved... I could not get enough of Jesus, all right? I was not, by any means, not a busy person. I was in the middle of school, taking a lot of credits in, with an engineering degree. And amongst that, you know, had a, a job coaching kids with the parks and rec. And just, I was a busy kid or a busy guy. And um, and when I got saved, it was like, I just, I couldn't get enough of learning about Jesus. I wanted, I'm like, I got to go to every Bible study. I got to meet with these Christian guys that meet. I got to hang out with, you know, to learn, to learn and, and, and understand what the word says about him. And what I found in my life is the more I get to know Jesus, the more I want to know Jesus. And you have to understand all the things that the word says to be devoted to, that we encourage you guys and exhort you guys to be devoted to, like reading God's word, praying, serving. The purpose of all those is to know Jesus. When you read the word, you are in essence, God is speaking to you. Okay, whether you understand that or not or feel like it or not, it doesn't matter. That's what he's doing. When you're praying, you are talking to God. When you are serving you're giving an opportunity for God to show you himself and how real he is in the work he's going to do in you and through you. It's all about knowing him. It's all about that relationship with him. And as is the case with any desirable relationship in your life, don't you want to get to know that person even better? I mean, you guys that are married, think about when you first met your spouse and you had those ridiculously long five and six hour phone calls where you didn't talk about anything important you just talked or listened because you just wanted to know them you wanted to know everything about them because you were infatuated with them because they were a desirable person right that's how it is and so it's the same thing with jesus he is the most desirable person you could ever meet and so you naturally just want to know more also think of it this way when somebody tells you something that's a benefit to you Aren't you all ears to listen to what they have to say? If somebody comes to you and says, oh, there's a super deal at Walmart right now or at Fred Meyers or in town, and it's something that you like and you want, aren't you going to, well, tell me more. Dylan, somebody comes up to you and says, I've got a secret fishing hole and you're going to nail salmon there. All right. What are you going to do? You're going to say, well, tell me. I, I want to know. If there's something of benefit, you know, you want to know. And here's the thing. All of God's word, it's all about the benefits you have through believing in Jesus, through being a child of God. There is not a single ounce of bad news in the good news. And this book is full of all the good news. Amen. It is full of all the benefits that come with knowing Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, it is the best benefit package anyone will ever offer you. And the retirement is top notch. Okay, it's, it's what I was talking about last week when we were talking about the grace of God, God's favor in your life. When you get a little taste 
of grace. All you want to know is more. And that's why you see here. They want to know more. That's the first evidence. Somebody's really believed and received Jesus. They want to know more. All right. Goes on to say here in verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, if you didn't know that, he makes it a real point through the whole entire book to reaffirm and let us know over and over again that at the at the center, the foundation of everything God is doing in the early church, all the amazing stuff at the at the foundation of it, where it's coming from is through the word of God. Okay, and he especially does this in Acts 13. Here in verse 44, he says, almost the whole city gathered to hear what? The word of the Lord. In verse 46, which we're going to be at in a second, he reiterates that it was the word of God being spoken to these people. In verse 48, we see it was the word of the Lord that the people believed in and were saved through. In verse 49, he tells us that it was the word of the Lord that the new believers went on to share throughout the region. This amazing revival happening, these people getting saved, it is what happens when the word of God is preached, okay? Because number one, it has supernatural power in it. And it's what God uses to first reveal himself to people, whether that's for the first time or for you to show you more about himself. And then also, it's what God uses to reveal all of the good things he has in store for you. Okay? Verse, Hebrews 4.12 talks about this. It says, for the word of God is alive Empowerful. The idea is it's always actively working. God is always actively working through his word when it is being spoken to people. All right. It goes on to say it is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. See, the Bible warns us our hearts are deceitful. And the enemy tries to play on that. He tries to fill our minds with the deceptions. You see deceptions all over this world. And they always prove themselves to be that. Well, the word of God exposes them. It's like a sword or a weapon against them that cuts right through them to show you that's not right. This is what's right. It always proves itself to be right. And it's truth. In a world where it's increasingly easy to see all of the deceptions that are out there, that always prove themselves to be that, people are hungry for truth, right? We want to know what's real and what's not and what's right and what's wrong. And God's word is the only thing that you can always know with 100% of certainty is always right. It's always truth. It will always prove itself to be that. And I'm convinced. Since the time I first started coming to the church, this is why people come to this church. It's not because it's the most convenient to come to. There's tons of churches in town. All right? It's not because we have the best coffee shop. It's not because this is the nicest building. It's not because I'm the most educated and dynamic pastor or my predecessor was. It's because they know that they will be taught the word of God and none of it will be held back. And through that, they know that they will be able to know God fully and they know that they will be fully equipped to experience everything God wants for them and wants to do through them. It's what the Bible talks about. Second Timothy three sixteen through 17. It says all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true 
and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives or basically to teach us what to believe and what not to believe. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right or it teaches us how to live and how not to live. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Everything in this book, though it was written by human hands, it was inspired. It was told to them what to write by God and has been preserved throughout the ages so that you would have everything you need to know God, to know how he feels about you and to know how to live the life he intends so you can experience the blessedness or the happiness he wants for you even in the midst of the hard things in this world. And it's not just like spirit, like a spiritual book, if you will, to know the things of God. The other thing you have to understand about his word is historically, it proves to be 100% true. It doesn't contradict itself regarding history, if you really know history. And as we looked at Thursday night, if you didn't watch, you can watch it online. And we're going through Daniel 2 and looking at the prophecies that it predicted hundreds of years before they ever happened, and they happened just like it says they would. Historically, it even predictively predicted the future and will continue to predict the future accurately. And then scientifically, it's always proven to be itself right too. Establishing scientific principles long before they were ever written down by anyone or figured out by anyone, it was already in here. Amen? That's why it's so worthy, all right? That's why we want to stick to the, the word of God always. It goes on in verse 45 and it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So this word's being preached, God's moving, people are getting saved. And what do we see over and over again in the book of Acts when God's moving? You see opposition, right? By the enemy, trying to distract, trying to discourage from what the Lord's doing. And this opposition by the enemy comes through these religious leaders. And note, there's a reason why they're reacting the way they are. And it's their jealousy, all right? Paul and Barnabas all of a sudden have a crowd following them. Because what they're saying is ringing truth to people's ears. And they want to receive this truth. And all of a sudden, nobody's listening to these religious leaders. And they're jealous. And that jealousy blinded them from receiving that good news for themselves. And so they're coming against them. Or they're... The, where it says reviling, the idea is they're making fun of them. I can't believe you believe that. That's not true. And it goes on in verse 46, and it says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, talking to these Jewish religious leaders. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, or basically, since you guys are intentionally ignoring it and condemning yourselves, you can't blame this on God. This is your choice. You could receive this and you're choosing not to. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That last part of 40, um, verse 47, Paul's quoting Isaiah 49, 6. So in the face of this opposition, these guys telling them, you know, making fun of them for what they're saying, they don't shut up. It says that they were bold, all right? They boldly spoke back to them why because number one as we're going to see in a second they had the holy spirit inside of them empowering them to but number two they knew what they were saying was accurate and true all right they knew it was truth you can have such confidence when you're talking to people about jesus when you're just sticking to what the word says because god is the one that's really speaking we're just the messengers as as, as on again on daniel 2 if you were here on thursday night when he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, 
he makes that really plain and simple. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he wants to know what the dream is and then what it means. And he doesn't tell Daniel anything. And Daniel's like, I've gone to God. I've asked him and God has told me to tell you, answer your question. He's like, this isn't because I'm special or anything. I'm just the messenger speaking on behalf of God. That's what we're doing when we're sharing God's word with people. And here's the thing, as I've said many times, God's a big boy. He doesn't need you to defend him in any way. If people want to disagree with it, they can take that up with him. And those that disagree, it doesn't make God wrong. They're the ones that are wrong. And it'll prove it's, that'll be proven to them one way or another. Hopefully on this side of the earth so they can repent and receive the free gift of salvation. But it will be proven to them. Whether they want to acknowledge it or not. So you don't need to prove it. This week. My oldest son really blessed me because of a conversation he had with some people on his team in sports. He came home and he was just telling me, and it was a very good conversation. It wasn't negative at all, but I was just like, it blessed me because he just, I'll tell you what happened. So he's, he the, he's just wrapped up the cross-country season, and he was talking with some of the guys on the team. And the conversation started with talking about, like, one of the kids is a foreign exchange student. So it's talking about the metric system versus uh, the measurement system we use in the United States. What's the name of it? Standard. Standard. And, and like, you know, basically a disagreement on which is better. And, and so, and then somebody had this question of like, I wonder what the first measurement system was. Sam was like, oh, the word of God tells us. It's the cubit. They used to measure from like the, the, the elbow to the like forearm and it was a standard way of measuring. And so then that leads into a conversa- conversation somehow on Islam in the Quran. And and my son proceeded to say, Well, you know, I have a hard time believing that, you know, this is what this teaches. Like you you work your way to God and you're not even guaranteed to get there if you do these things right. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says this and and, and this is what I believe because this makes more sense because I know I'm not perfect. And and then that led to somebody saying, Well, I'm an atheist. You know, I believe in science. And so, you know, like you know, that led to my son saying, well, you know, the word is accurate as it goes to science. And here's the thing. A lot of the science out there right now, it contradicts itself, you know, and he's talking about like evolution and the Big Bang and how that contradicts the, the law of thermodynamics. And and like and then, and then it goes to like, well, the Bible contradicts itself. And he's like, actually, the word doesn't contradict itself. He's, he's like most times when people think it contradicts itself, it's just because they don't understand the context of what's being spoken at that time. But here's what blessed me in all that. He constantly just said the word, the word, the word. He went back to the word. That's our place of safety. Because, again, it's all truth. We don't need to argue it. We don't need to get upset. We don't need to convince anyone. It will prove itself to be true to them. And so that's what we stick to. We stick to the word. And here's the thing. Inevitably, like these guys, you're going to encounter people that just won't receive it. They won't believe it. All right. And here's the thing. You can just pray for them and you can move on and keep telling it to people that will. And that's exactly what we see Paul and Barnabas do. Right. They don't continue to argue or persuade these guys with these these hard hearts, but rather they do what was prophesied by Isaiah and they switch their efforts to preaching to the Gentiles. All right. And this didn't mean in any way they didn't still care for these people. Paul says in Romans 10, 1, dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. He he always would try to preach to the Gentiles first and foremost in most of the different journeys he had. And here's what it says there in Romans 10 is he prayed for him. 
Sometimes that's all you can do. You preach the truth to somebody. If they don't receive it, you just pray for them and you go on and you preach to someone else. And if you get another opportunity, you preach to them again. Amen? That's it. And it says in verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now the Gentiles, on the other hand, they receive the word of God correctly. They hear the good news for what it is. They say, that's for us too. Amen. And they're filled with joy. It says they're rejoicing. And that leads to the second thing I want you to note and how to tell if somebody has truly received or believed the good news of Jesus Christ. It will produce joy in their life. Everything God's word has to say about salvation, the salvation God's given us and what that entails for us should make you joyful. As I said already, already, there is no bad news in the good news, right? It's all good news. And this rejoicing should only increase the more you learn God's word and you learn about what his plan is for you for all eternity. Amen? Especially as this world grows increasingly harder and more difficult as a result of sin, not as a result of God, but that's what sin does. It destroys So we're on this trajectory of this world continuing to go downhill. It ain't going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And you see that even those things that once, they're not bad, but they're they're corrupted by sin now. And those things that you once enjoyed, they're not enjoyable anymore. As you see that, the purpose of that, an act of God's grace is to help you let go of this world. All the more knowing that it's all going to burn eventually. There's nothing to hold on to. What we have coming is so much better than anything lost. And that's where we want our focus, right? Paul talks about in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. It's all about where we're looking. There is a reality for you as a believer in Jesus Christ that is not what you see in this world. It's off, based off of what God has said. And it's all happening in the background, whether you see it or not. So that's where we want our focus. That's why we're here at church. That's why we want to be in the word every day. That's why we want to be with other believers so we can remind each other of that. We want to set our sights on the realities of heaven. It goes on to say in verse 2, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. If you died to this life, in your, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your life. Is revealed to the whole world. You will share in all his glory. See when my focus is on. The, in the right place on things above. It helps me have joy. The joy that God intends for you. Even even if you're going through hard things. Not to say. It's not to like to say that you go through those hard things. And you're just like. Oh I'm glad I'm going through hard things. No nobody's like that. But there's joy that runs concurrently with with those hard things because you know that they're just temporary. You know, as the Bible says, it's a momentary light affliction. It's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And you're going to get through it. And on the other side, you're going to be able to look back and say, this is what God uses for my life. And it was for a good reason. Because that's what he promises. And I know that I'm a citizen. I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm just passing through. I'm a citizen of heaven. And when I get there, it's going to be perfect in every way. And that's where I'm spending all eternity. That's the hope the Bible talks about. It's not a wishy-washy hope. 
It's a sure expectation of good in any given situation that has been guaranteed to you by God's grace because you're a, a believer in his son. Amen? Amen. That's the reality for us. Now, it will produce joy in your life. Now, verse 48 also contains a theological truth that has been the center of many discussions and sometimes arguments amongst believers over the years that I feel I need to touch on because it's left confusion in some people regarding God's sovereignty and a person's responsibility in their salvation. As it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So who of these Gentiles believed the good news Paul shared with them? Those that were appointed or ordained by God to do so. And without spending too much time on this biblical doctrine, because I could go sermon after sermon. There's so much written on it in, in, in deeper discussions. But just to try to simplify it in the time I have, my theological position on how God's sovereignty and people's free will works together in somebody being saved was simply formed by looking at what God's word has to say and not believing anything more than what it has to say, where I think some people go wrong. If I could summarize what I believe the Bible teaches on this, it would be that God chooses you to be saved in his sovereignty, because that's what the Bible says. One place, Jesus said it himself in John fifteen sixteen. he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You don't just wake up one day in your sinfulness and say, you know what? I need God to save me. No, you need help to understand that you need to be saved. And God does that in that you're ordained or you're chosen or you're predestined or you're elected to be saved. Which, by the way, should not make you upset. That is supposed to encourage you that despite how wretched you and me are in our sin, God says, you know what? I don't just love you. I like you. I want to do everything to bring you into a relationship where you are with me all the time. All right? Were you ever that kid on the playground that didn't get picked or got picked last? You know how, I won't use the word, how bad that felt. I was, I've been there. Not so on God's team. You're his number one draft pick. Every single one of you. All right? That is to encourage you. All right? Now, if you're somebody that hasn't placed your faith in Jesus, you're like, well, what about me? Am I, am I not appointed to be saved? Am, am, I, am I appointed to be saved? Here's my advice to you. Believe in Jesus Christ, <laughs> and then you will know you were appointed to be saved, all right? Because the Bible also says that within God's sovereignty, we're also responsible for choosing him. It says in John three sixteen through 17, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, who believes, that's you, that's on you. It's your choice. Who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. See, the intent of Jesus was not to send you to hell. The intent of Jesus was to save you from it. Okay. And who does Jesus say can believe in him? Everyone has the opportunity to. God's desire is that none shall perish and all shall come to repentance. That's what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. Okay. Do I completely understand how those two truths go together? That God chooses in his sovereignty, but within that sovereignty, we have to choose him too. I don't understand how that goes together. But you know what? I don't need to. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, you can't think on the same level as God. I don't need to. I know that's what God's word says. And so I'm okay with it. And I leave it at that. I don't try to go above and beyond it. 
Amen? You are chosen by God, Christian. And guess what? You're also responsible for choosing him in return. That's what the word says. Verse 49, it says, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So what did these new believers go about proclaiming to their friends and family after they were saved? The same good news that they heard. They went around telling everyone about Jesus through the word of God. And that's the third thing I want you to note and how to tell somebody if somebody has truly received or believed the good news of Jesus, they will want to tell others about him, okay? These new believers, they were eager to share the same good news with those around them so that they could receive that same good news that they just received, right? Then I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but here's the reality. When is it hard to tell somebody good news? If you have good news to share with somebody, isn't like that something that's you're eager to do it? I mean, I'm, I'm the one that can't keep the surprise. Like when I have a surprise for my kids or whatever, and I know they're going to love it. I, it's just impossible. I have to let it out because I want to share that. I want to see them react with happiness, right? So it's the same way with the gospel. It was funny. A couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with the Bellingham family, if you guys know them. And their little daughter, Talia, just like kind of, she's got a small little voice. And she's like, can I ask you a question, Pastor Chris? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, what's it like? to like teach God's word, like up at the pulpit. And I'm like, I got down to her level and I said, Dahlia, here's the thing. Do you ever have something like really cool to like tell your brothers and sisters? Like maybe your mom's baking a cake or something. You've got like something really exciting. You just can't wait to share it. She's like, yeah. I'm like, that's what it's like. It's like, I know that I have like the best news that anyone could ever hear. And I just want to share it with them. All right. That's what it's like. That's what we have, and that's what we get to do. And so you see these guys, they want to tell others about Jesus. goes on in verse 50, but it says, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. So amongst this great revival, again, there's more opposition as the Jewish religious leaders encouraged the people that had some sort of authority in the city to persecute Paul and Barnabas. Persecution that was so bad they had to flee. And that's just a good example for us. Like sometimes the Lord wants us to stay and endure persecution. Sometimes we're supposed to flee. That's where we got to go to the Holy Spirit and say, what do you want me to do in this situation, Lord? Because these guys fleed here, all right? But I want you to know how verse 51 says they left because in this culture... If the Jewish people had to go in or through a Gentile city, Gentiles who they considered kind of God-rejecting heathens, they would symbolically shake the dust off their feet, just saying, we're not taking anything of these God-rejecting people with us, all right? We're not, we're not going here with any of that. And so, in essence, when Paul and Barnabas are doing this, they're basically saying the same thing. Like, in other words, they understood this, these people rejecting these religionists, if you will, rejecting the good news of the gospel was not on them. It wasn't a problem with the good news itself. It wasn't a problem with the way they told them. They just realized, well, they're not receiving it. So we, we don't have to take any guilt. We don't have to take anything with us. We can just leave it here with them to do what they will with it. I mean, God wants them to get saved, but if they're going to be hard-headed, then that's on them. And so often in ministry, it sets a good example for us, or I, I would say in your life in general, you're either going to be in any given situation, you're going to be somebody that is able to shake it off or you get shaken up. 
All right, and this is critical to understand this because as far as enduring in Christ, it is critical that you learn to be like them and be someone that shakes it off, all right? What I mean by that is, you know, the opposition comes. Something doesn't work out the way you think. You know, somebody comes against you. Somebody does something wrong against you and you let it discourage you. You let it shake you up. And all of a sudden you're thinking about quitting or you're thinking about reacting the wrong way. Or you be somebody that's just like, okay, well, I only did what God wanted me to do. I know I'm blameless before him. So I'm just going to shake it off and move on and just leave it, like shake the dust off my feet and leave it there. I don't need to do anything else. I didn't do anything wrong. It's so important that we understand that in our lives in general, all right? Because otherwise it can save you from a lot of discouragement and just kind of unnecessary suffering that the Lord doesn't intend for you. In Christ, he's given you that ability to leave it to him and move on. Amen? And that's what these guys do. Last but not least, it says in verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And this leads to the fourth and final thing I want you to note and how to tell if somebody's truly received or believed the good news of Jesus Christ. They will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we know that as we believe in Jesus Christ, the moment you believe in him, you receive the Holy Spirit. He's in you. But then as we've been talking about through the book of Acts, there's multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit where God fills you with himself so that you are able to know his will and then carry it out in your lives. Things you can't do apart from him, right? And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18 that it's God's will for us to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit because we constantly need to be led and empowered by him to do anything in your life. Not just ministry, like formal ministry, but to be a parent, to be a student at your school, to do anything. You need God's spirit. And it starts with being in a place of surrender. You have to be surrendered to God's will. We can all ask for God's spirit, but we have to be surrendered to his will because he's not going to empower you to do your will. That'll just get you into trouble and make the mess even worse. He empowers you to do his will. And so when you're at that place of, all right, God, I just want what you want from me. Help me be who you want me to be and do what you want me to be. That's the best place you could ever be. Because God will answer that prayer and do those things. He will lead you and empower you to do what his will is in your life. And here, what we see here is that joy goes along with being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is something Paul tells us in Galatians 5, through 23. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all attributes of God. And when he fills you with his spirit, you will have those attributes too. And often it'll be supernatural in appearance in that these guys right here, there's no reason for them to be joyful. They're facing persecution. But they're joy filled with joy because they're filled with the spirit. So that's what you'll see. You'll show people, love people that don't deserve to be loved. Because it's God's spirit that's working in them. You'll see them going through the hardest circumstance. And it's hard. But at the same time as that difficulty, there is this hope and joy that's rooted in Jesus. When it shouldn't be there. These are the things that stick out to the world around us. With those people that we have relationships with. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't have that. When things are going hard, you're miserable. And you have no hope. 
Because there's no reason to have hope if you don't have a relationship with God who's told you he's for you and not against you and he's working things for your good. And this is what you see. Fourth and final thing. So just to recap, four attributes of somebody that's truly believed and received Jesus in their life, which I would guess, hopefully all you guys, they'll want to know him more. Number one. Number two, they will have joy. Number three, they will want to tell others about him. Number four, there will be evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now, these things, they're not like, it's like, oh, you need to see this all the time. Of course, we don't. We're works in progress. But you should see these things. And they're ever increasing as you're ever being made more like Jesus, being conformed to his image. Amen? Now, here's the thing I want to end on. I'm going to have the worship team come up here. But if you think about this, if you've been following us through Acts 13... This is a pretty miraculous thing that happens in a matter of about a week and a week and a half. Paul and Barnabas come into this town where best we know there's no one that believes in Jesus. And they go to a synagogue and they preach the word and tell the good news about Jesus. And everyone receives it. They wait a week. They get asked to come back. They do the same thing. Nothing different. They just preach the word. Some people receive it. Some don't. But the people that do receive it go on to tell even more people. And all of a sudden, a church is born in a matter of a week and a half that lasts for hundreds of years. That's what God does. That's what we're here to do on his behalf if we just are faithful to do what these guys did. And it really is a simple I can make it so complicated in my own mind, but it's not any more difficult than this. If I just tell people what I know about Jesus, what I've experienced about Jesus, that's what God uses to add people to his church and save them. That's it. Not everyone will listen, but that's not up to me. And guess what? I don't need to dwell on it. I don't need to be discouraged by it. I can pray for them. When the Lord gives me more opportunities, I can tell them again, but I can shake it off and just go on to the next people. And if we're faithful to do that, God will work through you and just continue to add people through the glorious news of his gospel. Amen. This message just seems so timely because I was having a conversation with a sister in this church. And we were just talking about how as of late, like over the last six or so months, there's this, this reoccurrence in, in conversation. She was telling me how like, there's just all these people in her life, people that they've known for years that they wanted to get saved. That all of a sudden they're coming to them asking questions. Well, who's this God you believe in? What, what about life? What do you think about this going on in the world? What happens when you die? Like, Questions that we have the answers to. Those questions that you want people to come to you with because you know you have the right answer. All of a sudden it's happening. Like all around them. And on top of that, I see in a lot of the conversations I'm having with people that I know that are believers, this sense of urgency, this understanding that Jesus is coming back soon. And this like, I I need, these people need to get saved that I know. I need to have them over. I need to be witnessing to them. I need to give them opportunities. I need to invite them to church. I keep hearing that over and over again. Like people's testimonies about that. And that right there, that's revival. If you guys, we we pray for it a lot, but that's revival. It starts with us. This 
compassion for the lost, this sense of urgency of realizing like we need to get on top of our mission because we don't have a lot of time to do it. And then it's God drawing people to himself, often through the uncomfortable stuff in this world. As uncomfortable as it is, and we don't like a lot of the stuff going on right now, this is the benefit, how God uses it. It's an act of his grace because it helps people question, do I really want to live for this world? Because it ain't all that great. Is there something more? Maybe I'll talk to that person that talks about there being something more. Tills the soil in their heart, if you will, and prepares them to receive the good news the right way so they can want it no more, so they can be filled with joy, so they can go out and tell others, and they can be filled with God's spirit to do so. Amen? So here's how I want to end. We're going to do a a worship song here in a second, but I just want to spend some time as a church family praying for our community. So we're going to just have a moment here where I'm going to encourage you guys, just where you're at, maybe with somebody you came with, or even by yourself if you're alone, that's all right too. Maybe you want to partner up with just somebody by you. And just pray as the Holy Spirit leads you, whether it's for your workplace or for the community in general, for your students, your peers, at Astoria High School, Warrington High School, Warrington Grade School, Story Middle School, where maybe it's for your kids. Maybe it's for somebody specific that you have a real burden for. But just pray right where you're at. We're going to fill this room. Our prayers are like incense to God, just with the, the little murmurings, the little prayers, which translate into big answers. And when it seems right, we'll do one last song of worship. We'll have our prayer team around the room if you want to come up and get prayer for something. But let's just close petitioning, interceding on behalf of those in our lives that we want to see get saved in these last days. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, be with us in this time. Lead us in these prayers. We know that the prayer of a righteous person, which we are through our faith in Jesus, availeth much. It is powerful. We know you hear it when we pray according to your will and you'll answer it according to your perfect plan. So we come to you today to lift up these people. In Jesus' name, amen.